be gathered together. You know you're in for something different when the pastor brings up a box with him to preach, and then he moves the pulpit aside. Hold on. And he brings up a whiteboard. You know you're in for trouble here, so... No, I'm not going to draw pictures. Pastor's Club, I'll leave that up to you. You've seen my artwork before. It's not that great. But uh, I wanted to start this morning by inviting you into my office, actually, is what I really wanted to do. Sounds a little intimidating, doesn't it? You know, when you get called into the pastor's office, kind of like the principal's office, maybe. Hopefully not, not bad news when you get called into a pastor's office, but rather... I wanted to simply invite you in to come and see my office, because not many of you had a chance to see it. But I can't do that because, well, a lot of you are watching on live stream. Great to have you with us. Welcome, if you're watching on the live stream, taking the service that way. So you can't just walk down the hallway and see my office. And then we've got the whole COVID restriction thing, you know, two-meter distancing when your office isn't very big. That really limits you. In fact, my office is too small. We couldn't even all fit in there if we didn't do the physical distance thing. So, welcome to my office. That's not my office. There we go. That's my office. That, if you walk into my office, that's what you see on the right wall. And as you walk in, a little display of some things. Actually, some of those things are my father's, father's my father-in-law's, and also my grandparents. There's even some things in there from my great-grandparents. And a little picture up there on the wall, which actually that map is uh, prayer cards for missionaries that's, that I know and pray for regularly. Now, if you were to look straight ahead when you got into my office, you would see this. There is my bookshelf. Now, at first glance, it looks like my bookshelf is full. Trust me, those are not all books. I'm not that scholarly, okay? Everything read in that picture is actually Coke cans. And across the top is my part of some of my collection of Coke cans and bottles. In fact, as you look around my office, you'll see a lot of Coke stuff. If you look on the other wall that's left and we turn around and, and look back towards my desk, there's even more Coke stuff with platters and trays above, above my desk. And we've got a display of hats hanging up on the wall. Yes, I like Coke. And it's those hats that I want to start by pointing out because really, you could walk in and you could look at all kinds of things in my office in little detail and go, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. But when you walk in, you don't necessarily think hats, you think Coke. It's part of a bigger display. And I, as I looked at those hats, I thought, I'm going to do something with hats in my sermon. See, this morning we're continuing through our series on uh, our purpose statement. We're taking a look at what is our quest, and we've been taking a look at our purpose statement. What is our purpose statement, by the way? Who, let's, can we say it together? Intentionally becoming people who embrace and reveal God's love. One of these weeks, I'm not going to say it. We're going to see who can do it. Now, of course, there's fewer people in the sanctuary, so it's going to be quieter anyways. But that's our purpose statement, and we've been walking through that and taking a look at it from the perspective of what is our quest? What is it that drives us as a church? What is it that, that the filter that we evaluate everything through? And we've been taking a look at that statement. In the last few weeks, we've been taking a look specifically at the two action words, embrace and reveal God's love. And we've been taking a look at how embrace is our relationship with Jesus Christ. A, a, a very real, personal, and growing relationship in which we embrace God's love. 
but reveal, we've been talking about how that impacts others in relationship. Well, today we're going to transition a little bit and take a look at holiness. How revealing God's love happens internally, happens within us. Now, before we go any further, I need to tell the Pastors Club what we're describing. Pastors Club, you guys are doing a fantastic job. The, the, the pictures last week were amazing. We've opened it up and said, use any kind of creative arts you want to describe something. Last week, I got a paragraph written. I got a whole bunch of pictures drawn. I had, I had a clay sculpture that was made. I even had a Lego sculpture of somebody opening a door at church. It was described someone loving and caring for someone else at church. It was awesome. Keep doing it. Well, this week, I want you to describe someone who is holy. I was thinking, if we're using any creative arts, Perhaps you should get someone to help you knit an afghan or crochet an afghan because it's got lots of holes in it, so that would work, right? The holy? No, that's not what we mean by holy. Think Halo, not the video game. Think the thing that we put above our heads, you know. What, what, how do you describe someone who is holy? And we're taking a look at this word holy this week, and as we do so, we are going to Take a look at, wait a minute, I better write before I talk. I almost wrote the word how because I was going to say how and <laughs> I'm writing holy. That, my brain doesn't do th two things at once. See, now I'm totally sidetracked. Where was I? Holy, that's it. We're going to take a look at this word holy, but we're going to use this whiteboard to create a display which when we're done, I hope you will see not five or six hats, but you will actually be, see a reminder of truths about holy. In the same way that when you walk into my office, you won't necessarily see five hats on the wall. You will think of Coke. So this morning, we're going to take a look at six truths or six statements about this word holy. We've been using the book of 1 Corinthians as a, for a lot of our teaching this morning. Our scripture reading was from the book of Hebrews. Talking about this idea of holiness and how it fits in with embracing and revealing God's love, there were so many texts that we could have had for Scripture reading this morning. I, it was hard for me to choose which one. Honestly, I chose Hebrew because, Hebrews because it says exactly the same thing as 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It just says it in a lot less verses. And so I thought, you know what, let's go with the shorter one for the Scripture reading. But the truths are exactly the same, whether we read 1 Corinthians 10 or whether we read Hebrews 12 or there are numerous other passages as well that we could what do we learn about this word holy? First of all, question. What does the word holy mean? Those on the live stream, turn, turn and answer that question amongst yourself. Here in the sanctuary, go ahead. Call out some ideas. What does the word holy mean? Set apart for God. What else? No other ideas? You guys, come on. This, this section over here. What, what comes to mind? What, what, what do you think of the word holy? What does it mean? Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Without sin. Pardon? Pure. Yeah. You know, when we describe, when we talk about holiness, the first truth that I want us to remember about holiness is represented by this white hat. Quite simply, God is. You're reflected on God's holiness. God is perfect. 
He is sinless. He is pure. He is complete. I was reflecting on this this week and was reminded of a couple of scriptures. In, uh, in Exodus chapter 15, I believe it is. Better check my notes here. Yeah, chapter 15, verse 11. We have one of the first corporate worship services recorded. And there's this song that's being led by Moses and Miriam as they're rejoicing over what God has done in leading the people of Israel across the Red Sea. Their enemies have been destroyed and they are praising God and they say these words, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders majestic in holiness you know if we take a look at one of the last corporate worship services that we have recorded in scripture it's in the book of revelation it's a prophetic vision that john has of what heaven is going to be like and we see the throne room and in the throne room there are these beasts and there are these heavenly these heavenly beings and angels and they're all praising god and does anybody know what they're saying Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This word holy is used to describe God through all throughout Scripture. And as I was reflecting on, on this idea of holiness, I was, I was drawn to a book which I read a number of years ago and have since reread a number of times. In my opinion, one of the best books on the topic of holiness and not only talking about God's holiness, but our calling to be holy. It's by a fellow by the name of Jerry Bridges called The Pursuit of Holiness, and I need to give credit that a lot of the ideas that I'll be sharing this morning's sermon actually come from his writings and from this book. But I want to just read one paragraph to you as we think about this truth that holy God is. God is often called in Scripture by such names as the Holy One or the Holy One of Israel. Holy, according to Stephen Charnock, is used more often as a prefix to his name than any other attribute. Holiness is God's crown. Imagine for a moment that God possessed omnipotence, which means infinite power, omniscience, which means perfect and complete knowledge, and omnipresence, which means he's everywhere present. Now imagine he had all of these things but without perfect holiness. Such a one could no longer be described as God. Holiness is the perfection of all his other attributes. His power is holy power. His mercy is holy mercy. His wisdom is holy wisdom. It is his holiness more than any other attribute that makes him worthy of our praise. You know, we like to think of God as being loving. But when we put it in the context of holy, God's love isn't just a little bit better than yours or mine. God's love is perfect, complete, pure. We think of God's power. It is perfect power, complete power. When we think of his presence, it's not like we just get a little bit of God's presence. No, we get his holy presence, his complete, perfect pure, sinless presence. And that's who God is. God is holy. But we need to put another hat up on the board. Notice the color difference. What do you think this one is? Holy. God is, but 
I am not. You know, when we read in Scripture, we see that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We also see in 1 John these words, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Jesus out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We have just celebrated communion. And part of the reason I wanted to do it earlier in the service was so that we would set the foundation for this message. For the truth is, Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. But what does it say in 1 John? If you or I are going to claim that we are without sin, then we are making Jesus out to be a liar. We are basically saying, God, you lied, because God said Jesus is dying for the sins of the world. And so the moment I say that I'm not sinning, that means either I'm wrong and I have actually sinned, or God's wrong because Jesus didn't have to die for the sins of the whole world because I'm perfect. Folks, we all sin. God is holy. I am not. Now what happens when we mix these two together? We've got a holy God and we've got sinful human beings. What's the result when there's an interaction between those two? Sin hurts God. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you sin, when I sin, it's not just something that affects me, it actually hurts God? Throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul has been addressing a number of areas of sin in the church, in the life of the church. He's been talking about pride and arrogance and how it has infiltrated them in terms of how they think about the leaders in their church. He's been talking about sexual purity and how they've allowed sexual sin to become part of their lives. He's been talking about food sacrifice to idols and the attitudes and beliefs and actions that they have about whether they should or shouldn't be eating this food sacrifice to idols. He's been talking about some, there's some teaching about the resurrection that he talks about. And you know, in all of these things, he's confronting areas of sin and how it's affected their attitudes that have become sinful, their beliefs that have become sinful, and their actions that have become sinful. But sin does not just affect you and me personally. It actually hurts God. When Paul's talking about sexual sin, he points out that the sexual union that happens is actually the joining of two individuals. And so sexual sin is not just something that happens on the outside, it happens on the inside. And then he points out that if you are a Christian, and remember, 1 Corinthians is written to the church, these are people who had experienced God's love and forgiveness, their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so sexual sin not only affects them, it actually is sinning against the Holy Spirit. 
When he talks about food sacrifice to idols, he makes a statement that if you're eating food sacrifice to the idols wounds somebody's conscience, you sin against Christ. Folks, our sin not only affects us as individuals, it doesn't just hurt us as individuals, it hurts God personally. God is holy. I am not Sin hurts God. But hallelujah, I am. You might say, well, wait a minute. That's complete opposite. You got a black hat up here, which represents the fact I am not holy. Now you're putting a white hat right underneath it and saying you're holy? Come on, what just changed? What we celebrated at communion. Because of Christ's death on the cross, we can have our sins forgiven. We can experience God's love and forgiveness. And do you know that that's not just something that happens and changes us in terms of a spiritual thing? Here's the incredible thing. 1 John 1.9 teaches us, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the part that we often think about. Our sins are forgiven. But listen to this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, this is Jesus presenting us to the heavenly Father, holy in his sight, without blemish and free of accusation. Folks, when we experience God's love and forgiveness, this is how he sees us, is holy. He does not see the sins, all the sins that we've done in the past and go, oh boy, Craig, he was a pretty bad guy. No, he doesn't look back. Our sins are forgiven and he sees us as holy because of the work that Jesus Christ has done on the cross. But there's another hat that I need to put up. Because if we ended it here, it would be like, well, that's the whole story. Great. I'm now seen as holy. We're good to go. One more truth. I must be. God is holy. I am not. Sin hurts God. I am holy when I experience his love and forgiveness. Now you're saying, I must be? I mean, now this is really getting confused. I'm not. I am. I must be. Which is it? Folks, what happens the moment after you ask Jesus to forgive your sins? The day after you ask him? The week after? The month after? The year after? Life goes on, doesn't it? And as life goes on, we are given the calling to live holy lives. When we take a look at who God is, he deserves, first of all, that we honor him by doing what is right in his eyes. But you know, he also instructs it and requires it of us. In the scripture reading this morning, it started out by saying, inasmuch as is possible, live at peace with one another. Kind of sounds familiar to what we've been talking about in terms of relationships from 1 Corinthians. But then it adds a phrase, 
as much as it is possible, live at peace with one another and strive to be holy. In 1 Peter chapter 1, we have a statement quoted which actually was originally recorded in Leviticus. It's God speaking when he gives the instruction, be holy as I am holy or because I am holy. Folks, God not only desires to forgive our sins and to cleanse us, but He desires then that moving forward, we are striving to live holy lives. We are striving to honor Him. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, we read these words, So whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Have you ever thought about whether you're living a holy life at your workplace, at your school, in your home, as you interact with friends and neighbors, or when you're sitting all alone? You see, the sin that, that Paul was confronting in the church in Corinth was not just actions. Sin can involve our attitudes, our beliefs, and possibly our actions. And in all of these areas, we are called to live holy lives. But notice the color of this hat. It's got some white, and it's got some dark gray or black, depending on how you look at it. The reality is, we'll get it right sometimes. There are times where we will honor God in our choices. We will honor God with our actions. We will live holy lives in terms of what we believe. But there are other times where we are going to fail. And it's not like God says, well, that's it. It's over. I gave you your one shot and I'm done with you. No. God's grace and mercy continues to be such that we can come back to him and ask for his forgiveness again. And you know, there are some who we see uh, throughout the, the New Testament, we see teaching countering this idea that some people had that, well, if that means that I can sin and God forgives me and I can sin and God forgives me, then I don't even need to work at living a holy life anymore because God's just going to forgive me anyways. No, God doesn't put the, his grace and mercy in place to be an excuse or a justification to say, I don't need to strive to live a holy life. Rather, it's the gift we have been given, acknowledging the fact that we will fail. But our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who he gave up everything to follow the will of his Father. And he sought to honor his Father in everything. One last hat to put up here, though, that is encouraging in the midst of this. For this makes it sound like it's just a big task that we need to do and it's going to be hard to do and we need to work at it. And yes, we do need to work at it. Yes, it is hard. But there's one last thing that I want us to remember about holiness. God helps. God helps. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, I believe it is. Now I'm forgetting my spot. I better check my notes here. Yeah, chapter 10, verse 13. We read these words. There is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. 
stop there. Good. That means I'm not alone in this. Whatever sin it is that you and I struggle with, we're not alone because it's common to mankind. But the verse doesn't end there. It keeps going. Uh, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Hey, I'm liking the sound of this. That means I can do it. It's all about me. I've got the strength. I got the power because I got... Wait a minute. What does it say after that? But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Folks, when we are tempted, first of all, yes, it's common to mankind. Temptation is part of life. But when we are tempted, God will provide a way out. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, we read, I can do all things. Once again, we stop the verse there and we go, there's a good self-help encouragement verse, isn't it? I can do all things. I got this. I can live a holy life. But what does it say? I can do all things through who? Christ who gives me strength. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, we're taught that if we walk by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Folks, God doesn't just give us this calling and say, I want you to live a holy life and leave us alone to bang our head against the wall a whole bunch of times and, you know, feel defeated or anything. He's in this with us. And one of the cool things I see about these three passages that talk about God's help in striving to live a holy life is that it involves the holy God, complete God, perfect God, as in all parts of the Trinity. God the Father, he's the one specifically who's mentioned that will help us uh, provide a way out when we are tempted. It's Jesus Christ, or God the Son, who gives us the strength. And it's the Holy Spirit who we walk with in order to not walk in accordance with the ways of the flesh or gratify the desires of the flesh. Folks, when we talk about embracing and revealing God's love, embracing is that personal relationship that we have. That's what starts when we experience his love and forgiveness. When we believe that he died on the cross, paying the price for our sins, and we humble ourselves, acknowledging, I am sinful. I need to experience your love and forgiveness and asking God to forgive us. But then comes the rest of life, the calling to live a holy life, honoring to God. And what a joy it is to know that God walks with us to help us. But before we wrap this up, I need to just throw out a couple of cautions here. Because first of all, I need to point out, God never promises to take away temptation. Yes, God promises to help us out when temptation comes, but he never promises to take it away. Got an area in your life where you just keep struggling with, keep struggling with? Absolutely, keep taking that to the Lord and saying, Lord, give me victory. And if there are steps that you can take to experience victory, you do it. But don't let the enemy throw a lie into your head saying, because you're being tempted, you're not really a Christian, are you? 
Folks, God never promised to take away temptation. God also never promised to take away the earthly consequences to our sin. There are consequences to sin. We know that just from looking at life. When we do things wrong, there are consequences. There also are consequences when we do things good. Consequences are just the natural outcome of whatever choices we make or actions that we take. God takes away the spiritual consequences in that he forgives our sins and our relationship with him is restored. But God never promises to take away the earthly consequences. Our sin not only hurts God, it affects others. And it takes time to experience healing and reconciliation and for restoration to happen. It takes time for healing to happen. Another caution, though. We're talking about this in the context of embrace and reveal God's love. If we take the idea of holiness out of that context, out of the context of living in a loving relationship with Jesus Christ and desiring to give God not only what he deserves, but what he commands as well, and we start to just focus on holiness as being the most important thing, it's going to lead to a few things. First of all, it'll lead to a works-based theology. I have to do good to earn God's favor. Folks, that is not Christianity. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is what every other religion in the world teaches. Christianity is Jesus gave his life for me. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It also will lead to legalism. Legalism is setting out the rule book and saying, if you're a good Christian, you will do this and this and this, and you won't do this and this and this. And we start to judge one another based on our actions. Folks, holiness comes from that loving relationship that we're in of embracing God's love. And holiness is revealing it to Him. Yes, others should see our actions. Others should see our attitudes. Others should hear our beliefs. But it's not really about other people at all. It's about our relationship with God. And yes, there are things that we may encourage one another in or, or, or rebuke one another in, but ultimately the response, it's not a legalistic thing where if you do this, oh no, we'll have nothing to do with you. Oh, you've done that. Oh good, welcome in. Looking at holiness outside of the context of embracing and revealing God's love, it can lead to a workspace theology, it can lead to legalism, but it also will lead to pride and arrogance and ultimately broken relationships. Ever heard these words? Look at me. I'm not like... We hear the Pharisees saying it in the New Testament, but we've probably heard a few Pharisees saying it lately, haven't we? And perhaps... As we've stood looking in the mirror, we've heard it because we've said it ourselves. Look at me. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I don't do such-and-such. And And you know, that pride and arrogance will only lead to broken relationships. This morning, as we have put this together, 
I hope that as you look at this, you don't so much see six hats and a board with a bunch of writing on it, which probably you can't even read because my writing's so messy, but hey, it's a display. I add one more thing to the display. That which reminds us of the context that all of this takes place in. Yes, we are called to be holy as Christ is holy. But what does that look like in your life? What is the area that as you are growing in your relationship with Christ, the Holy Spirit's tapping you on the shoulder and saying, what about this area? What about that area? As we draw this service to a close, I'm not going to give a practical application in terms of here's what you need to do, but rather we're going to pause for a moment of silence. And I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak the application into each one of our lives. As you look at this display, as you think of these truths that God is holy, I am not. Sin hurts God. I am holy if I'm forgiven. I must be holy. And God helps me to be holy. What is he laying on your heart? What is he speaking to you? Let's bow our heads and become quiet before the Lord for a moment. And then I'll close the service in prayer.